Today I want to uh, take a little shift out of our series on the book of Acts, or on the book of Mark. I'm totally way off. Where do we go on Acts? Uh, we want to talk a little bit about on a mission, but first of all, uh, I just want to introduce myself to Pastor John Hubert. If you're visiting with us today, we want to thank you for coming, and uh, you picked a great Sunday to be here. And I just want to uh, let you know if you're new with us today and you heard somebody speaking out during the time of music, uh, what that is called is the gift of prophecy, and it is something that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, and what that is is just somebody that speaks out, the Bible talks about it, it's very clear, and it says that we're supposed to receive that as an encouragement to the body. And so that's what you heard, if you want more information about it, look in 1 Corinthians 14. Also, uh, come and talk to one of us, we can talk to you more about it, but I wanted you to know that. And so, as we approach the Easter season, there's a lot of times that um, we have a lot of people who think about Christ at this time. Maybe they'll think about um, the issue of, do I believe in this? Is this something that maybe I used to go to church? Maybe it's something that I, I did at one time in my life. And we need to understand that there are people that are going to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ that wouldn't normally be open during this season. So I want to start a, a, a series called On a Mission to talk about our mission to reach people for Christ and what we can be doing during this Easter season. And so, you remember that the mission that Christ gave all of us was go and make disciples. And he also talked about being my witnesses. He gave those missions to his disciples, but understand that he gives that to us, and he gives it to us as a church, he gives it to us as individuals in the church. We all have a sphere of influence that we can do this. So, if, and here's the question that I have, and I want to start with our first uh, part of our series today is why do we come to church or why do we come if we're not excited about being at church how is anybody else going to be excited about it if we don't think it's worthwhile how is somebody else going to think it's worthwhile if we say i gotta go to church it's sunday that you know that's going to spread yeah hey you want to come to my church i don't like it but you're welcome to come with me and the pastor said i have to invite people yeah, that's not really a good sale. I mean, that's not really getting people excited. Because we have to understand what the value is of us coming. Uh, many times, uh, people see attending church as a chore, or an obligation, or a, not a privilege. They see something as maybe commanded by God. Maybe it's a check mark that we get. Maybe God's up in heaven taking attendance. And he says, oh, I see who's here. Who's going to get blessed this week? Oh, slept in this week. No blessing. Okay? And we look at that when we don't look at it what it's supposed to be. And on a, on a fun note, um, just so you know, there's a really good reason that you, would want to, you should want to come, and that's safety. 20% uh, of all fatal accidents occur in automobiles. 17% of all accidents occur at home. 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. 16% of all accidents happen in planes, trains, or boats. But only 0.001% of all deaths occur in church, and these are related to previous physical disorders. So the safest place to be is any time is the church. Go there, it could save your life. I just want you to understand, statistically speaking, safest place, I mean, the, I mean it's statistics, it's science, come on, this is, we have to accept, you know, this is what we need to know. So I want to talk to you today about a, a very um, famous passage, but I don't know if I've examined it this closely, we want to look at Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, and talk about why do we come to church, and why should we come to church, and maybe a different perspective that we have when it changes us, 
maybe that will help us as we invite others as we start to see the value of it and start to see what it is supposed to be. The first thing is that we need to understand is gathering together as believers has always been a struggle. We're going to start right at the end of the section here where it says, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more is the day you see the day drawing near. Now we believe that the book of Hebrews was written in the first century, and at this time period, they're already struggling with people saying, ah, do I really need to go to church? Is this something that that's important? We're talking about people that theoretically could know somebody who knew Jesus or know Jesus themselves. We don't know exactly where this was at, but, and they're already starting to struggle. There's a, there's a struggle that goes on to come to church. There's a struggle that happens for believers to come to church. And if it happens in the first century, how much more is it thousands of years later? How much more is it? Ne neglecting to come to community in the early Christian church is addressed here. We don't know why. The author does not tell us why. Maybe they were returning to their old ways. Maybe they were going back to the Jewish faith. Maybe it was the persecution. Um, maybe they were more like us, and they feared that there were other things in their lives that were crowding out gathering as, as the uh, body of Christ on the Lord's Day. Now today, there's been some stats, uh, some work done on why people stop going to church. Um, the American church is a, in a general state of decline right now, for the most part. Uh, with fewer than 20% of people in our country now attending church regularly. This suggests that 7.9 million people may be leaving churches annually. That's 150,000 each week. That there are people who are saying, this isn't important anymore. This isn't of value anymore. This isn't what I want it to be. According to research done by Lifeway, the top two life situations that prompt adults to stop attending church include being too busy, and the burden of family and home responsibilities. That'd be 19% to 17%. In other words, they're saying, my life, all the other things that I have are making me busy, and the thing that I'm going to cut out is coming to church. The next most common category of reasons all include disenchantment with the pastor or the church. And there's a combination. One is, the three highest ones we see is church members seem hypocritical. Church members were judgmental of others, and the church was run by a clique that discouraged involvement. In other words, people are saying that there's, there's something going on in church, and I don't want to be a part of it. They're saying they're too busy, or they're saying they don't like the church. Or, or, there's all kinds of aspects of this. And I was thinking about reasons that I've heard while people are not going to church. One is, I don't believe in organized religion. And I say, what's your other thing, disorganized religion? I mean... I, I just see the opposite there, and I say, I don't want to disorganize religion. But they'll say it's wrong, and, and, you know, it's your fault what happened in the Vatican. It's your fault what happened here, and things like that. I have my own way of connecting with God. This is one of my favorite northern Minnesota excuses. Um, I have a favorite TV evangelist, or an internet evangelist, or somebody like that that ministers to my needs. I worship God in nature. This is my favorite northern Minnesota one. I go out, and I look at nature, and I worship God. Okay? Uh, Blaise Pascal says that there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart. We are looking for this need, and people are going to fill it somehow, but for some people, they, they think it's going to be um, through their own 
device. Another one is, I get tired of my church always asking me for money. Uh, some people will say, my life situation changed, and I just never went back. You know, I started working on Sunday, decided that, it, you know, all of a sudden I stopped doing that, uh, just got too busy. Uh, the church let me down, talk about the fa- fa- moral failure of a leader. I don't have to go to church to be a good person. I don't have to go to church. I see good people that, are, that don't go to church, and that, thus this proves that I don't have to go to church to be a good person. Uh, um, Sundays are my only time I get to rest. Like I talked about last week when staying awake, there are lots of people that come to church and rest, okay? And they get really comfortable. And I, l- I look out and I'm like, oh, there's somebody really resting, okay? And it's, it, you can join us. It's, it's, it's okay. You can rest here. And, but it's understandable that this is, my only sun, this is my only time to sleep in. This is my only time to have this advantage. And people use the excuse. I don't think one reason that came up that I didn't, that was frustrating to me is, and I, I can see it though, is I don't think I'd be welcome there because of all the bad things that I've done. All the bad things. I don't think I'd be welcome there if I walked in and people saw me or saw what kind of lifestyle I have. Now, some of these things, as we look at them, they're just excuses. I don't have to go to church to be a good person. Um, What does that mean? I mean, be like Jesus. Define good. You know, Jesus said, God is good. God decides what is good. We don't get to decide, well, my neighbor is nice, doesn't go to church, thus that proves something. And uh, I'm desperately in need of the book called Spurless Correlations. And you have things like the amount of margarine being used compared to, you know, uh, space flight technology. And, they, and they, they put these two together. Somebody wants to get me this book. It's on my Amazon wish list. But it's, it makes me laugh about this whole concept of putting two things together. This proves this. No, it doesn't. It means they both can, you know. God is saying to make us good. God wants to make us good. God wants to make us holy. And that comes from gathering together as a body of Christ. Just because you may perceive that somebody is good does not make it so. But so some of these are excuses, but some of those are things that we, I think we have to work on as a church. Do we have to work on um, holding our leaders accountable? Yes. Do we need to work on not being a clique? Yes. Do we need to be more welcoming? Absolutely. But we also have to not use the excuses, I'm too busy. Because you know what I'm too busy means? I'm going to cut out what's less important in my life. Because you will find time to do what is important in your life. You will find the time. You're not too busy to eat. Sometimes you are, but find it. After a certain amount of time, you're going to do it. You're not too busy to do the things that you really like to do. And so um, a lot of these reasons, uh, we don't know the reasons. And for a lot of people today, we don't know why they're stopped going to church. But there's things that we can work on in our own lives. The author of Hebrews, though, goes on to tell us why it is important for us to gather together. So he says, people are neglecting coming to church. Similar to our situation today. And he's not going to just say, stop neglecting. He's going to say, this is why it is important for you to come. And maybe if you understood why it is so important, you'd make it a higher priority. If you didn't look at it as just an obligation, if you didn't look at it as a checkbox, if you didn't look at it as something that you could just say, well, I'm a member of that church. I've done what I'm supposed to do. That's all I can do. First of all, getting together draws us closer to God. There's a funny story that I heard of a woman living in Washington, D.C., and she belonged to a church frequented by the president. So she called the pastor, 
and asked him if he expected the president to be there on Sunday. He replied, I can't promise that, but I expect God to be there, and I believe that he should be sufficient incentive for attendance. In other words, it doesn't matter who comes. It doesn't matter the, the status of this. Well, I go to this church and it's a higher status, or I go to this church and it has this, or I, again, I've done my mark. It matters that we come to meet God. Okay, guess what? Church is imperfect. God created the church, and it's the only option that we have. There's a reason that all the epistles were written. If you're talking about them, what they're about, church problems. Why do you think they had to do all the church problems in the first century? They, they were problems. They had to address them. But God called us to be in a church, and he said we're going to come together as a body when we do it. If you look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 21, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, do you realize that we have status and privilege because of what Christ has done in our life? Because of his work, we have been forgiven of our sins by, his, by what he has done, and now we have access to God the Father. We have access to God, and God is present when we gather together in a special way. Do I understand that completely? No. Is he present everywhere? Yes, he's present everywhere. But he has something special for us as we gather together that he is present in his church. And he is the one who established his church and said to gather together for all of these things. He is the great high priest over the house of God. He is the high priest that is here over all the believers and over the house of God. He is here. He is here to minister to you. He is here for you to draw closer to him. He has broken down any barrier so that you can access God. Basically, by not coming to, into church, we are not taking advantage of something that is being offered to us that's going to magnify our lives and draw us closer to a God that can do great and mighty things in our life. He's saying, come and be with me. And people are saying, no, nah, I'd rather not. I'd rather just have my own way. And so the, you know, we're doing the opposite. And then if you look at verse 22, he gives us two commands. He says, let us draw near with a true heart, with a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near is used by the priests, especially in the Old Testament, that approached God with a sacrifice of worship. Do you realize, if you read through the Old Testament, that the average person had no direct access to God? They had to work through a priest, and the priest was the only one that could access God. And what he is saying is, you know the Holy of Holies? You know the place that it was when J Moses was on the mountain and he came down and his face was glowing? You know all of that? You can draw near to God in his presence. In his house of God, you can draw. And not only does it say you can draw near, he is saying, do it. He's not just saying, if you want to, and you've earned enough good points, and if I'm in a good mood that day, you can draw near. He says, please draw near to God. Come to me, because I want to do amazing things for you. We truly have, uh, the present tense is that we are supposed to be constantly, continuously approaching. And we are supposed to draw near in corporate worship. That is what he's emphasizing here. 
People say, well, I can draw near to God on my own. And you should draw near to God on your own. It does not say you should only do it in, in the gathering. But you know what? It all, in this context, he's saying, draw near to me as you gather together. That this is something special that happens here that will not happen if you do not gather together. And he is saying the reason that we have to worship. He even says, when you come to worship, here's the reason you have. He says, with a true heart in full assurance and faith. We have confidence that which is produced by faith. We have the blood of Jesus and the great high priest over God. We have been set free. God has done his part. He has changed us. He has transformed us, and he wants to continue to transform us. And all of this is possible, and we come together to worship him and draw close to him because of what he has done. And we, and it says that we worship him, he is present in our presence. And he is here to minister to you, and we can come to him with full confidence in our faith. And it also says, we are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We are forgiven. Do you realize how wonderful that is? Do you know how much reason that should give us to want to come to church and praise God? You do not have to have an evil conscience anymore. You do not have to have a conscience that's bothering you. You can be forgiven. And if you are forgiven, you have great reason to gather together and praise God. Praise God in a corporate sense. Praise God with each other. Tell others of what God has done in your life because you have been set free. The devil cannot come to you and say, think of what you've done. You can say, I have been set free. I have been forgiven. And because you have forgiven, you have reason to worship. You have reason to say, let's get some worshiping going on because God has done great things in our lives. Don't let it stop. Keep it going. We want to gather as a body and worship Christ because we are sprinkled clean by God. The word, the water here is talking about the water that washes us clean from an even, evil conscience. And we have been washed with pure water. Do you realize that you have been changed? God no longer looks at you with your old sins. He has washed you clean if you have accepted him. The third thing we need to understand, and this is something I think people lack in churches today, and something that we, as we, uh, in our culture, even in northern Minnesota culture even more, that God getting together strengthens us and others. That we gather together. There are so many things that are done today that people are dying for community. They're asking for community, but the, the people that are asking for community seem to run away from community when it's offered to them. There's study after study after study done on this about how people are becoming more and more distant from one another. And we in northern Minnesota, you know what can happen to us? It gets cold and we just want to stay inside and not go anywhere. Maybe that's just me. But, you know, it's just, we get this way and, and we gather and we can connect to people electronically or other things, but we don't gather together. And so t verse 24 says what we're supposed to be doing in corporate worship. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Because we gather together for the purpose of not only praising God, because I think this is where people talk about, I go to church, I sing the songs to God, I have an op I, direction vertical or to him, and then I listen to the pastor, he talks about the Bible, again, to God, and then I run out the back door as fast as I possibly can because I have done my part now and I hope nobody talks to me because I might have to listen to what's going on in their life. Now, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just saying that is a natural, that is the natural state. Okay, that is 
what, it, it happens for a lot of us. Now, there's a few of us that are wired completely opposite. We'll sit and talk all day long. That's just how we're wired. But we need to understand that when it says, let us consider, whenever there's a command, it usually means that it's a reason there's a command because we struggle with it. God doesn't say, you know, don't, you know, please eat more, more uh, ice cream. You don't need a command for that. You just do it. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's something you do. Let us consider how to stir, you know, stir others with up to good works means that it's something that we may struggle with. And even look at the word. We need to be thoughtful about us. Let us consider. In other words, it's not just something that's going to happen. It's something that we have to be, do deliberately and consider our path of action. It requires effort. You know what it requires? Getting to know one another. Talking to people that you see. And maybe they look just like you, maybe they don't look just like you, but getting to know one another and finding out what's going on in each other's lives because when we do this, we can consider how to stir up love and good works in each other. It, you must be in relationship and you have to know how can I help each, how, that person? How can I be there for that person so they can be stirred up to, do, to be more loving and to do more good works? Stir up many times is a negative. When you say, I stirred something up. Anybody here ever stirred up a bee's nest or a hornet's nest? Oh, that's a good time. You know, and I, you know, you think of that term, you've stirred something up. You go to work and you say, well, that person just stirs things up. And you think of that as a negative. Here it's a positive, a direct positive. He is saying, stir up. We are supposed to inspire people. When you're at church, you should come saying, how can I make somebody more like Christ this week? How can I speak into their lives? How, maybe it's just to listen to them. Maybe it's just to be there for them, but we're supposed to stir up this. And what are these love and good works? Um, John 13, 34 to 35, I think we hear this verse, and I've heard it over and over again, but we need to understand, it needs to be who we are. In verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, it should be a characteristic of you. If, you were like, if you're like all of us here, I think also, if it is a commandment, it's not something that comes naturally. We have to help each other be more loving. We have to help each other do more good works. Maybe you're frustrated. You just need to talk to somebody and somebody can help you walk through. I'm so frustrated, but I'm having trouble loving somebody. When we're in a relationship with one another, when we're considering how we can help each other, we can help each other through these things. But it needs to be a relationship and a community that happens in the church. And when we do this, when we're looking out for other people, realize that we're also, um, other people are looking out for us. And it says also in verse 25, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. See the term one another there? What that means is it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. And, and it's back and forth and back and forth that you should receive encouragement and give encouragement. And we are required to do both ways. We're supposed to receive it and give it. There are somebody counted up that there are 59 one another's in the Bible. There's a concept, and I did a sermon series on one on the one another's, and it's just this concept of what we're supposed to do for each other. The Bible does not understand people on their own as Christians. It does not have a category for that. 
It does not have the solo, I get everything at, at home by myself category for Christians. It doesn't, it's not there. It has the one another category. It has the gather together as a church category. That's it. And you say, Pastor, that's really mean, and how can you say that? I didn't say it. The Bible says it. And I'm just going to say that that's what it says. And so for us to say, well, we can get by without this. We can, we can get by without coming. Or I, We know people that say that they're believers but never attend church. You know what? That's not what we are called to do. The word encourage even has two sides to it. It means to exhort somebody to do something or it's to cheer somebody on. So in other words, it could just be, come on, you need to do this. All right? And getting behind somebody and kind of saying, uh, you know what, you really need to do this. This is something, or it can be just a cheering, hey, you're doing a great job. It has two sides to it. And we need to understand that there, when we're in relationship, we know which one to use. Have you ever said the absolutely wrong thing to somebody when you didn't know their story? Again, I have. You, know, so you come up to them and say, you know, what's going on in your life or things like that because you don't know them. But when you know them, some people need to be pushed and some people need to be just cheered on. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen with, with coaching and helping and things like that. And exhortation can come both ways. I, I, William Barclay wrote it this way. It seems easy to laugh at men's ideals, to pour cold water on their enthusiasm, to discourage them. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. In other words, if you think your spiritual gift is spiritual putting people down, there's a lot of people in the world that are good at that and they have no spirituality in them. There's a lot of people telling everybody how horrible they are. There's a lot of people telling them you stink or you don't do anything well, or you're not this, you're not that, you're not this. The, bio, the church body needs to be the, a body of encouragers. Even if somebody is doing the wrong thing to encourage them, to do the right thing and say, I will walk with you. I will stir you up. I will be there with you as you take these steps. It's encouragement, not discouragement. You don't have to be the one to be the judgmental. There's plenty of judges out there. We don't need any more. Okay? Retire the gavel. It, it's over. Uh, we're there to encourage one another. And it's very rare to find somebody who is over-encouraged. You walk up, you say, oh, today, everybody's just saying so many nice things to me, saying how wonderful I am, how beautiful I am. I'm just tired of it. <laughs> I don't know if you've had days like that or if you've heard people are just tired of it. And I wish somebody would just tell me something bad about myself. No, usually people say, I hear plenty bad. I think enough bad things about myself. I need somebody to encourage me. And that's what we're called to do. Last thing he says here is gathering together prepares us for the return of Jesus. He says at the end of verse uh, 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All of this modifies all of verse 25. What he's saying is all the encouragement, all the gathering together, all of this is so much more necessary as we see the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, the end days drawing near. We need to understand that we need each other more than ever. When there's persecution, that the Bible talks about, when there's all these things happening, when we see things happening all over the place and we don't understand, as it seems like the church is falling away, we need to see that we have each other's back. Okay? 
We need to be together more than we ever have before. 1 Timothy 4.1 talks about the end days. It's now this, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later time some will depart by, from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now we've been talking about in my Wednesday night class, we've been talking about demonology and spiritual warfare. And people, sometimes people are over-obsessed by this and they want to cast out the demon of the, you know, the Kleenex box or whatever and they get too much into it. But otherwise, we sometimes are in like, eh, don't talk to me about demons or deceitful spirits and things like that. They don't exist. The Bible says that the enemy is trying to pull us out of the church. The enemy is trying to get us to stop coming to church. The enemy is trying to get us to use one of those excuses. Eh, it's just not meeting my needs anymore. I'm not, getting, I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting what I need. Well, I always tell people, if you're just at the level where you're so, you've got everything, you're the one that we need to come and minister to everybody else. So if you've already received everything, and well, the pastor's already said that. I'm smarter than the pastor. and Well, great. I'd love to have you come. I'm already holier than everybody else. Great, again, we need you. But we need to understand that there's deceitful spirits that are saying, ah, take a few Sundays off. You know what? Just don't bother engaging with one another as a church. It's not worth it. And all of a sudden, slowly but surely, we slink away. Or, slowly but surely, people get lost in the shuffle. It does happen at church that people don't look out for one another. It does happen that people can come to church and feel like they are not wanted. I've talked to so many people that say, I go to a church, and I've been there for three weeks, and nobody knows who I am. Nobody will come and talk to me. And heaven forbid that we are that church. But we need to make an effort and say, we're going to talk to people. And some of us, and I'm, I mean, I'm more introvert than extrovert, I think, and it's hard sometimes because you just think to yourself, okay, pastor says I have to do this. Remember, pastor didn't, the Bible did. Okay, just take that. And, but you do it, and just introverts need each other too. Okay, introverts can just, you can awkwardly talk to one another, and you both understand each other. Think about it that way. We're both introverted. Hi, hi, good to see you, bye. I mean, you've done so much in that little talk, okay? Now, the extroverts will be sitting there talking for three hours and all that stuff, but we need each other, and we need to understand that the enemy is trying to pull us together, or pull us apart, I mean, that the meeting together, the encouraging one another, the drawing closer to God, we need it more as we see the coming of Christ is near. There is more stress on the body, and Satan is fighting us at every step. It says in 1 Timothy, we need each other. We need to draw close to the faith, learn from the confession of the faith, and encourage one another. We need to understand that God is calling us to do great things through the church, and he, needs, he wants us to keep together and draw closer to him. Now consider what Christ has done for you. Consider what he is continually doing for you. He wants you to do through this, the gathering together as a church body. God calls us to gather, to, to be close to him and to each other because we need it. Understand that there will be a fight from the enemy. But understand that if God commands it, it is the best thing for our lives and the joy and growth that is in him. When we realize that God wants us to do wants us to do through us as we gather together as a church, we will become excited. If you come to church, understand this. I just like this. If Satan doesn't want you to be here, 
this is the greatest place you'll ever be. Because whatever Satan doesn't want, it's kind of like the indicator of what the best thing is. Ooh, Satan doesn't like it? Let's do it. Just, I mean, it's pretty much. If he says it, it's a lie. If he doesn't want you to do it, it's the best thing for you to do. It's just kind of a guaranteed system. He's very helpful in that respect. Okay? But we need to do this. And as we gather, the excitement will rise in us. As we're going to talk about the next two weeks, as we become more excited, we can talk to others and say, I want to share with you about church. I want to share with you about becoming a follower of Christ and coming to church with me because I'm excited because I see it as valuable and I know why we're here. I know how I can draw close to God. I know I can draw close to each other and I want to bring you along with me. Why don't you stand with me right now? Our prayer ministers can come forward. If you're here today, first thing I want to call is if you're here today you've not made a commitment to Christ, you've not made him the master of your life. You've not had your sins forgiven. We talk about in here about this verse about your sins are forgiven. And if your sins are forgiven, um, you don't have an evil conscience anymore. You don't have guilt anymore. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you know what? You're forgiven. All the things you've done in the past, all can be forgiven because the great high priest has sacrificed himself for you. And if, you've not, if you're here today and you're carrying your own guilt on your shoulders, you're, you haven't released it to Christ, you haven't become a follower of Him, you haven't been forgiven, you haven't been reconciled to God, which you have been called to be reconciled to Him, that, that vacuum in your heart that only can be filled by God needs to be filled by Him today. Come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. Also, if you have a need, if you have a need, uh, come and pray with one of our prayer ministers afterwards. They'd love to pray with you for anything that you have. But for us, I just want to challenge you today. Make gathering together a priority. God has called us to make this. And realize the enemy wants to stop you at every step of the way, which means it is the best thing you can possibly do. Take the opportunity to consider one another. Consider, think in your mind, God, focus me. Help me to be the person that reaches out to other people. Help me to be the, the helper for those who are in need of help. Help me be the one that is there. And let us understand that as we draw close to God in this church and draw close to one another, as the day draws nearer, that we will see more and more people come to know Christ. When we fulfill what he has called us to do as a church. And let us become that church that reaches this town and brings the gospel to everyone around us. Lord, we thank you today for your for this word that you gave us. We thank you, God, that you have uh, given us the church. God, we realize the church is not perfect. We realize that people have let us down, that it has not been exactly what it's supposed to be, God, but you have given us this church and you have said that this is the church. This is where we're supposed to be. We are supposed to gather together. And God, you just didn't say that because we were supposed to obligate. You said, here's the reasons why. Here's the reasons why it's going to help you. Here's what it's going to do for you. God, let us understand why we are here. Let us be active and being church-going people, but gathering together for a purpose, people, God. Drawing closer to you and to each other, God. Connecting to God and connecting to each other, God, as our mission says. And so that we can be connected to our mission, God, which is going out and reaching the lost reaching those who are hurting God. We pray for this blessing upon this church. We pray that your spirit goes out before us, God, because we know it does, but we pray for great things to happen this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.